Hi there, precious friends. For some weeks now, we've been talking about the dynamics of prayer. We've talked about what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We've talked about prayer and forgiveness. We've talked about prayer and faith. There's another element that is very much a part of powerful, effective, dynamic prayer. And that is prayer and unity. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, a few weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 17 and the high priestly prayer. We know that that was a prayer that Jesus prayed not many hours before his crucifixion. And in verse 20 of that incredible prayer that we could spend months on, but in verse 20 in that prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus prays for the church. Remember, he started off praying for himself, and then he prayed for his apostles, and then he prayed for all of us. He prayed for the church through all of the years of history, all of us who would believe in Christ through the word of the apostles and through the written scriptures. Um, he prayed that they all may be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe that thou didst send me. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love them even as thou didst love me. That is a very specific prayer. In that prayer, Jesus unveils his loving heart, his love for the Father, his love for the people for whom he came to die. And so he identifies those who believe in me. That's the group. And we know that true salvation comes from faith those who, what? Believe in me. So true saving faith is what identifies God's own. Well, how did we come to believe or how do we come to believe? Through their word, through the word of the apostles. The apostles preached the gospel. They were used by God to write the scriptures. Um, they, through all the ages, men and women have believed and have been saved because of that initial word. The apostles took the message and they preached it and those people preached it and those people preached it so that the word, the original doctrine, the original gospel that Christ gave to the apostles to pass on the, to the world has come down through generation after generation and after generation. It's fascinating to think about really what all the apostles did. You know, they, they had the apostles' doctrine, they had all the preaching, they had the teaching, but they preached, they founded the church, they gave accounts of the life of Christ, the miracles of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. They, they recorded how the church grew. So we have all of this information because of the way the Lord used the apostles. 
Well, when we preach and teach the gospel today, we teach and preach the word of the apostles. It is what God told them to say. They spoke the word of God. So when we speak the word of God, we're speaking the same thing they spoke. And so they call it, scripture calls it the apostles doctrine. It's really the doctrine of Christ or the, the doctrine of God. Doctrine is truth, the truth about Christ, the truth about the gospel. And so that's the apostles doctrine. And so Jesus intercedes for the apostles and then he interceded for us. What does he pray? What does he pray? Well, first, he prays for our oneness, the oneness of the body of Christ, the oneness of the church. Secondly, he prays that we will personally be present with him, that we will be able to be where he is. Don't you love that? Well, for the next few minutes, I want us to look at oneness. I want us to look at unity and why that was so important to Jesus. If we're going to have powerful prayer lives and see powerful prayers, um, effective prayers, if we're going to see them answered, if we're going to see answered prayers, then as a body of Christ, we need to have unity. Unity. Few things are more important than unity in the body of Christ. And few things are more misunderstood than unity. That's why we need to talk about it today. Too many times we talk about unity without having the foggiest idea of what Scripture says about it, of what Scripture says that it is. And so when we talk about the unity of the body of Christ, we just sometimes carelessly come up with these definitions of unity that are in accordance with our own ideas or Webster's Dictionary or opinions uh, of, of thinking. Um, and we just take it as something very simple and we think, well, everybody knows that. Unity is when everybody agrees on everything. Well, what does scripture say that unity is? It was important enough to Jesus that he prayed for it. For all of the years, for all of the future, for the future church, uh, he prayed for that. He could have asked, you know, what, what would you have asked for the church through the ages for all that was going to come? We could have asked for courage. We could have asked for endurance. We could have asked for peace. We could have asked for power. Mm -mm. Jesus didn't ask for any of those things for the church. He asked for unity, for unity. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, and if we had time, we would... Um, trip through Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 4. Those are incredible gifts uh, and explanations of the, the unity of the body of Christ. But in Ephesians 2 in chapter 16, we're told that Christ made one body through the cross. How did we become a unit? How did we become a body? We came that way through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that verse tells us that he took Jews and Gentiles and made us one, made one body. He divided, the, the dividing walls that were existing between Jews and Gentiles were broken down by the cross of Christ. Then verses 13 through 16 tell us that unity is a gift of grace. It was bought with the blood of Christ. So unity is a part of what we get. It's a part of what Christ gives to us in grace when we're saved. It is a gift from God. 
It comes as a result of salvation. Our job is to learn how to walk in it, to learn how to live it out, to learn how to put it on display. So let's take a moment to think about what unity is not. Unity does not mean uniformity. It does not mean conformity. Um, the world wants to see us all look alike, sound alike, um, be conforming. We, they want us to like the same clothes and like the same music and have similar education that, you know, so that the world's kind of got a cookie cutter attitude about what we need to be and how we think, need to think and how we need to look. But unity, spiritual unity, the unity of Christ doesn't mean that we look the same or think the same or talk the same. There are huge differences through the body of Christ in all of those things. Spiritual unity is not that everybody always smiles and says they agree and they never ask any questions, um, just being agreeable no matter what. No, that's not what spiritual unity is. We don't just put on a front of giving along when in our, getting along when in our hearts we're going, mm, or we have questions that we don't ask. That's, that's not spiritual unity. The kind of unity for which Jesus prayed goes much deeper than that, much deeper than that. Well, what did he say? What did Jesus say to the Father? Let them be one even as we are one. Ooh, let them be one like you, the Father, I, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Woo, what an amazing concept. We want to look at that and say, could that ever really happen? Could that be so? Well, let me answer a question with a question. Did God the Father answer the prayers of Jesus? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. So, yes, it can happen. Yes, it's going to happen one way or another because Jesus prayed for it. And so spiritual unity is available. It's real and it's available. So what did he say? He said, let them be one as we are one. Well, let's think for a minute about how the Trinity functions. How is the Trinity one? You've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three revelations of the same character of the same person. So how do they function? Well, they are equal in authority, but they are different in function. Equal in authority, but different in function. Number two, they complete each other. Listen to this. They never compete with one another. The Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit are never in competition. They have such a heart to serve one another, to make each other successful. There's no competition there. There's no stress there. There's no tension there. Number three, they're dependent on each other. In humility, they know how much they need each other. You know that God, needed, God the Father needed Jesus the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus and God need the Holy Spirit to come now and do his ministry and indwell us. The Holy Spirit's goal is to glorify Jesus. And Jesus' goals glorify the Father. So 
there's never any competition there. And they are, they know that they need each other and they trust each other. They have absolute truth in their relationship and they have absolute trust in their relationship. Then they support and serve one another. They have singleness of purpose and they operate in complete holiness, complete holiness. So the members of the Trinity work together in perfect unity. There's the picture, and that's what Jesus is praying for, for the church, for the body of Christ. Well, how are we going to do that? How would we do this? It requires daily, moment-by-moment -moment surrender to Jesus, to God, to the Holy Spirit, making ourselves available so that the Holy Spirit can make this happen in our lives. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to control us, ask Him to enable us to live by the same characteristics that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live by. That's the kind of unity that Jesus was praying for. Not just agreement of opinions. Deep spiritual unity. This unity has to do with convincing the world that Jesus is God. Don't lose that thought. This kind of unity has to do with convincing the world that Jesus is God, that the gospel is true, that Jesus is Savior, and that He loves them. He says, this is how they're going to know. And so that's why I prayed for that. Jesus didn't say it would take more prayer and fasting, more preaching, more gospel tracts, more television evangelism. He didn't say take any of that to win the world. What did he say it would take? Those things are all important. We do those things, but he said it would take the unity of the body of Christ. You know, when we look at ourselves, we maybe don't really believe that because we spent, we, it, when we want more souls to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we pour more money into making more tracks or um, having big conferences or more TV shows for churches. We want to have more personal evangelism, more crusades, you know, and we, are, we just want more and more of all of that. We want more and more. And, and what Jesus is saying here is that the way this is going to happen is not with all that stuff. It's going to be of the unity of the body and their demonstration of unconditional love for one another. Isn't that what we see in the Trinity? Isn't that what we see in the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Listen, we are only as strong and effective as we are united. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't see much unity in God's church in our country today. Um, our focus has gotten on different things. We're trying things that we believe ought to work instead of just taking what Jesus said. Turn with me for a minute to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. This is a very short psalm. It's a powerful psalm. I just want you to read it. 
This is a Psalm of David. And, and he says, behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Then he describes it in his words, in God's words. It's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion for there, now this is powerful, there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Life forever. What did the Lord do? He commanded the blessing. In what circumstances? How pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. That's what he said. Now, how do we get there? How, how are we going to do that? I, I can look there immediately and say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm not there. I repent. You have to help me with this. I, 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 I don't know how to do this. Well, here's what we do. Number one, we submit to the person of the Holy Spirit who alone can work it in us and through us. Now, how's that going to happen? Well, Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 tells us that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So the love of God has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. It's there. That is the first step. That is the first part of unity. It's love. So unity is grounded in genuine love, unconditional agape love, the kind of love that God has for us. Not maybe always liking everybody, but agape love is when we're concerned about another person's well-being. Well-being before God, concerned about their own good. And so first thing we need to do is to submit to the Holy Spirit who has given us that love. Then number two, we realize that this Trinity love will only work in a humble heart. We don't think about humility maybe enough. My goodness, the Lord's brought that to my attention so many times the last months, just plain old simple humility. And it's so foreign to most of us, we don't identify it. And we're so accustomed to being what we are, we don't know we don't have it. But the beginning of this, the beginning tied to that unconditional love is a heart of humility, a humble heart. Humility is the basis of genuine love. So that love that the Holy Spirit has put in our hearts is going to partner with the humility that we have before God. All lack of love is rooted in pride in pride. Pride is so built into us. Satan uses pride so much in us that again, we don't even recognize it's there. We don't know that it's there. So we have to ask the Lord to reveal to us by the Holy Spirit, this love, and let us then with humble hearts distribute that love the way Jesus distributed the love. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philippians chapter 2. Now let's read the first four verses. Philippians 2 verses 1 through 4. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion... 
Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty deceit, conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. We could camp out there, couldn't we? We are only as loving as we are truly humble. Love and humility are going to walk together. Now get this. We are only as united as we are loving, and we are only as loving as we are humble. So love and humility are the things that are going to combine in us as we learn to walk those out so that we walk out unity, so that we have unity in our hearts. The Lord Jesus Christ is the center of our unity. Today, we often identify ourselves by our denominations or our own personal preferences rather than by our allegiance to Jesus. All of these divisive walls or walls of divisions, maybe is a better word, have been built between us, among us. You know, sometimes it's uh, denominational differences. Sometimes it's gender differences. And, you know, you have men's classes and women's classes. And I'm not saying that those things are bad. But you look at how many times we've divided ourselves with denomination, gender, generational, senior adults, young adults, um, marital, married women, divorced women, married men, divorced. How many divisions are there? When what Jesus is saying is, you know what? The first thing we need to identify is that we all have the same allegiance to Jesus. That's what's important here. That's about our oneness. And so instead of emphasizing our differences, we need to be intentional about recognizing our commonness, our common heart, which is what? Jesus. The unity of Jesus. In him, we are one. In him, because of the Christ, because of the cross, the people of God, the body of Christ became one body. Recently, I've been reading a book by a lady named Joy Dawson. It's kind of a fascinating book. The title uh, gripped me. The title is, All Heaven Will Break Loose. That's a thought, isn't it? All heaven will break loose. Well, it's really a book about revival, about genuine spiritual awakening. But in there, uh, she talks also a good bit about the unity of the body of Christ. And uh, I mean, she says, we're all on the same team and that's a great way to think about it. I'm intrigued a lot of times, you know, after a national championship football game or basketball game, uh, they'll interview somebody on the winning team. And sometimes they'll say, how did you do that? And they'll say, we played as a team. And you watch that, you know, nobody hogs the ball. Everybody does its part. Are they all the same? No. Do they all have the same job? No. Are they all the same color? No. But what happens? They come together for a single purpose. And that purpose is either to make a touchdown 
make a basket. Their purpose is to win. And so each shares that responsibility and they share the responsibility and they identify each other's strengths so that if I need to pass the ball, I want to be sure it goes to so-and-so. Same thing. And so there's this consciousness of teamwork, of coming together, even though under that umbrella of that teamwork, there are all kinds of differences, all kinds of different strengths, all kinds of different speeds, all kinds of different perspectives. Excuse me, she says, we are all on the same team. And here's the list I wanted to read to you. We have the same Father, God. We have the same Savior, Jesus. We all have the same Empowerer, the Holy Spirit. We all have the same textbook, the Bible. We all have the same enemy, the devil. We all have the same orders, the Great Commission. We all have the same promise. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. We all have the same destination. That would be heaven. And we all have the same assignment. What is that assignment? To bring the blessings of heaven to earth. That's us. That's the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what color we are or what kind of clothes we wear or where we live. That's what matters is that teamwork. Turn with me while you're there in the New Testament to the book of Acts and let me show you something quickly. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And who I'd love to read all of it, but we don't have time. Let's just read verse 14. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, These all with one mind. Now, mm, look at who they were up there in verse 13. In the upper room, there was Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. You know, all of these people are there. Now, this is Acts chapter 1. This is after Jesus has ascended into heaven and he's told them, you go there and you wait. Just wait. Just wait. And so verse 14, these all with one mind. What were they doing while they were waiting? These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with certain women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What were they doing? They were devoting themselves to prayer. They had one mind. They were all thinking about the same thing. They were looking for the same thing. They were wanting the same thing. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. They were still there with one mind, one heart, one devotion. Chapter 2 there, verse 41. And this is what I want to show you. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And there were added to that day, there were added, I'm sorry, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What's happening? They're unified and people are what? Getting saved. 
And they were, watch it, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, watch it, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. There it is. There it is. Understand, we could spend a lot of time on this, but just get this. The corporate prayer of chapter 1 and verse 14 produced the corporate power of chapter 2. They go together. They go together. Deuteronomy 32.30 refers to one chasing a thousand and two putting 10,000 to flight. That's quite a multiple to go from 1,001 to 10,000 for two. And so God's showing us this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen when you do it my way. Scripture teaches us that there is power in agreeing prayer. Power in agreeing prayer. Now, I need for you to go with me to Matthew chapter 18 because we need to talk about something. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18. Verses 19 and 20. Again, Jesus is speaking. He says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, if we're going to rightly divide the word, which we want to do, We've got to look at this for a minute because some people take this verse and they lift it out of context. And they say that you can, if you can just get two or three people, just get, just get you two or three people together to have the same opinion about something, then the ne necessary condition is met and all you have to ask is for God to do it and he is bound to do it. He's going to have to do it because of that verse right there. Ooh, nope. That is a very shallow interpretation of this verse, and I believe it is a misunderstanding of this verse. Now, I just let me talk to you about this for a minute before you panic. It's easy to misuse or abuse this verse. Now, the first reason that I'm burdened about this verse is that we've been talking about spiritual unity and what it is, and it is having God's heart and dealing together with God's heart. And so spiritual unity is not about personal opinions. It's not about wanting something and getting two or three people to agree with me. 
with all that we've just learned about true spiritual unity, something is amiss with that interpretation of that verse. But the second thing is this. When we're studying a passage of scripture or studying a verse, context rules. You know what context is? Context is um, if I just said to you the word um, trunk and didn't give you a context, you would know if it was the trunk of a car or the trunk of an elephant or a piece of luggage if all I said was trunk. So when you put it in the context, then I would know if it was about an elephant or a car or luggage. I would know that from the context. That's the way we interpret scripture. That is the proper way to interpret scripture is by looking at the context because in scriptural interpretation, context rules. Now, understand that this chapter is not about prayer. This chapter the context of this verse, this chapter, is dealing with sinful believers. With how you deal with people who are in the body of Christ, with believers in the body of Christ who are living in sin, who are, who are walking in sin, and they become a wandering member of the body of Christ. And so Jesus gives very specific instructions about how you deal with that. And so what happens when he gets to this verse and he says, if two or three of you agree about this, about this person, same thing in, in uh, the Old Testament when they had to have two or three witnesses. Even in the New Testament, they had to have two or three witnesses. If two or three of you are witnessing to this, if this is the burden of your heart for this person, then what are you going to do? Then you are going to ask God to work in that life, ask God for wisdom in dealing with it, ask God for protection of the body of Christ, and ask God for His gracious work in this situation. What are you doing? You're coming together to pray God's grace into a situation. You're praying God's will, and what does God say He'll do? He says, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. God will hear and do what they ask. Now that, in my mind, is the true interpretation of that verse. But we also know that there is one interpretation of Scripture. There is one thing that it means, but there are different applications to the verse. And so let's look at this verse and what can an application of this verse teach us about powerful praying? Spiritual agreement is something different from having the same opinion. So we can't choose this verse to yank it up and say, Woo, it's, you know, I need to find somebody to agree with me. Let me get three people here to agree with me that we need a new building and we're going to agree and we're going to ask God and he's going to have to do it. No, he doesn't. That's not what this verse is about. You know, it goes much deeper. Agreement in the heart of believers begins with the heart of each individual believer before God. The heart of each individual believer before God. It's pretty simple to find somebody that agrees with you. Maybe I'll make a statement and say, don't you, don't you think so? Don't you agree with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But two people or three people who are drawn together because they have the same opinion 
can feed off of each other instead of feeding off of God. Think about that. Come on, get me somebody to agree with me. Get somebody to agree with me about this. If I get somebody to agree with me about this, God's going to have to do it. Mm-mm. Nope. That's not right thinking about this verse or about the whole concept of unity. The purpose of spiritual agreement, listen to me, the purpose of spiritual agreement is to get God's opinion. That's where these two or three people are going to come together and say, God, do you think, what is the burden of your heart? Do you think we need a new building? This is your work. So when two people come together with the same opinion, thinking that they can give God's in, God instructions about what to do in the situation, then, you know, there's no spiritual power in that. That's not spiritual power. That's not agreeing in prayer. That's ganging up on God. That's kind of like, well, we're going to get the government to do something. Uh, we're going to sign a petition. See how many people we can get to sign this petition. Get, you know, and so some people sign. They don't even know what they're signing. That's not prayer. That's not spiritual agreement. To pray with power, the prayer or prayers, those who are praying, have to agree with God. They're united in their agreement with God. Well, what does it mean to agree? Now, this is interesting. These words get interesting in this verse here in Matthew. This word translated agree is the word from which we get our English word symphony. Did you ever go to the symphony? All different kinds of instruments. You've got strings. You've got cellos. You've got violins. You've got reed instruments. You've got clarinets and oboes. You've got brass, you've got trumpets, you've got trombones, you've got all of these different instruments. And if you ever go and you're sitting there waiting for the symphony to begin, then they're all up there whittling and playing and, you know, and then it sounds awful until the concert master gets up there and he gives the signal to sound concert C. And then they all play the same note with all of their different instruments. And then they begin to play the music. They harmonize. That's this word agree. That's, that's the word right here when it says, when two of you agree on earth. That's when we're harmonizing. We're blending into one. Well, with whom do we agree in prayer? We agree with God. It's not just about agreeing with each other. We agree with each other to agree with God. Then you've got the unity. Then you've got the agreement. When more than one intercessor, each of whom is in agreement with God, come together to pray God's will, he's going to do He's going to do what we ask. When we come together wanting and recognizing and pleading for God's will, he says, I'll do it. I'll do it. Now, I was fascinated with this. You know how I am about words. I got to show you this. Back to the verse. <clears throat> 
verse 20, for where two or three have gathered, some translations say come together. Uh, that word is a Greek word which means to make one. It doesn't mean to have a gathering, to all meet up somewhere. It, it, it's a Greek word that means to make one, to bring into union. So he says, for where two or three have, are in union, where in my name, in my name. Now, here's what I learned that I never knew before. You ready for this? That verb is passive. Now, a passive tense or passive voice means that the subject, what's the subject? Two or three intercessors. That the subject is acted upon. Passive. That means that they didn't come together on their own initiative. That means that they were brought together, led in led to being in complete union. Who you reckon did that? God the Father and Jesus the Son by means of the Holy Spirit working in unity, bringing us to that place. And so these people were brought together. They were given the same heart and with that given the responsibility to come together in that union and to ask God for His will. Agreeing intercessors are joined together by God's power acting on them. Were there, did you ever experience that? Wasn't there a time when you just couldn't wait to pray? You just, oh, you just had to get it done. Or maybe you were with a group and you just knew as a group that you needed to come before God. You needed to pray. How did you get to that place? You didn't decide it. It's a work of the Holy Spirit bringing us together. And so they come together literally. Now remember our whole lesson on what it is to pray in the name of Jesus. But literally, what does it say? They come together in my name. What does Jesus want? The will of the Father. The will of the Father. So what happens is the Holy Spirit will draw us into the power of the name. The power of the name. And when we have been joined there in that place, He is there. He's there. Now don't take this verse to mean that this can only happen if there are two or three of you together. It's mm -mm. not what he's saying. That's where the context of the verse has to do with identifying and dealing with a sinful member of the body. Jesus will show up when one person is there. We've seen that. Look at the prayer of Elijah. Look at the prayer of Daniel. They didn't have a group. They prayed. So he is present. When we do come together, he is present in the life of each individual intercessor so that when we come together, he is not only within us, he is among us. We're gelled into him. And when the wills of the intercessor are dissolved in his will, everything they ask will be done by the Father. 
when the church learns how to agree in prayer, the power of God will be multiplied on earth. The key to power in praying together is single focus. Single focus. A determined mindset to pray for one thing, God's will. God's will. Satan knows the power of agreement. He knows. And I want to tell you, he knows the power of agreement in prayer, and he is going to fight it every way he can. He loves, Satan loves disunity because what happens? We're weakened when we're spread out, when we're not together. I read an illustration. It was a good one. It was by somebody you would know, but I can't think of who it was. That if I have a bottle here of ocean water, I can give you, I can say, here, experience the ocean. Well, you know that ain't going to happen in a bottle. It may be the same water, the same content, but oh, what happens when all of that comes together in one body of water? That's the picture here. That's, that's what it's talking about if churches come together, if churches would come together in united prayer, the whole city could be reached for Christ. There are many different kinds of groups that do a good job of supporting each other. Lots of groups that can make their members feel apart, feel that they belong. They may meet each other's needs. Uh, a lot of organizations um, do that together well. They've got good mutual support services. I've read that one of the reasons that a lot of our young people become involved in gangs is that they're, they find support there. They find a place there. They find an identity there. Jesus wants us to confront an unholy, ungodly, disconnected, shattered, broken, ruined world with a demonstration of holy, loving oneness where people have a place, where they're recognized where needs are met, where they're affirmed, prayed for. That's going to happen with millions of cultural variables. We're not going to be the same. We're not going to like the same music. We're not going to wear the same clothes. We're not going to look alike. We're not going to think alike. But there's a more penetrating and profound issue than any of that. And we get distracted and focus on those things. What's the issue? It is purity and righteousness and holiness that ties us together by the Holy Spirit. I may look at a person and think, Ooh, I don't like what you've got on, but hey, you know what? Do you love Jesus? 
And when you know the answer is yes, that changes everything. It changes everything about your attitude toward that person. If we can get to the place where allegiance to Jesus is the ground rule for fellowship and the ground rule for praying for the will of God to be done. Because we believe in the same gospel, because we have the same Father, the same Savior, the same Empowerer, the same textbook or or guidebook, life book, because we have the same commands, go ye into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're a team. We're going to have different roles to play. We're going to play them in different ways. But we're going to respect one another and love one another and encourage one another. And because we believe in the same gospel, we can abide in grace together. And you know what's going to happen? The world will know that the Father sent the Son. That's the most important thing. And Jesus says, the way they're going to know that, Father, let them be one, perpetually one throughout the centuries. Let them be one so that the world will know that you have sent me. Unity glorifies God. Unity attracts unbelievers. It's springtime as I'm sharing this, and out of my backyard, I have some honeysuckle bushes, and they're blooming. Wild honeysuckle bushes, they're blooming. And this morning, all of these butterflies had come to the honeysuckle bushes. Honeysuckle bushes draw butterflies. They lure them. Unity lures lost people to Christ. The unity of the church, spiritual unity of the church will give us a platform. Lost people will want to know and they will come to Christ And unity gives us a platform for incredibly powerful prayer. You want that? You want that? I've already been before the Lord and said, Lord, you're going to have to do a work in my heart. You're going to have to put that in my heart because, you know, I don't really like some. But they are yours. And because they are yours, it gives me a totally different perspective of what they do and who they are. And I pray that we will see this in our churches and in our communities. Let's seek it together. God bless you. And I'm glad to be taking this walk, this journey 
with you. In Jesus' name, amen.